Well, as we have just sang there, that our, our God is great. How great is our God? And now we get the opportunity to dive into his word together. And we're going to be in Matthew 28 as we are wrapping up a series this Easter Sunday called The Resurrected King. And the last few weeks, we've looked at Jesus' re- rejection by man, how they rejected him, and he went to the cross for us. And then on the cross, we look at his crucifixion and how he died in the place of sinners, how he died for our sins. And today, we're going to look at his a resurrection. And let me just say something. There's nothing more relevant to your life today or to my life today than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, absolutely nothing. You want peace in a pandemic? Uh, you want joy in the midst of trials? It, it, it's, you can have it. It's because Jesus was risen from the dead. Uh, the resurrection matters. It gives us hope today. It's hope for not just eternity, but hope for right here, right now, for today. You know, like many of you, if not most of you that are watching, I have an insurance policy. And uh, that insurance policy um, is pretty worthless until I die. In, in fact, I, I, I kind of go to great lengths to make sure that we don't have to use that insurance policy. I don't want to really have to see that insurance policy. I wouldn't see it enacted, but you get my point. But, it, it, but when I die, it, it's worth something. But until then, it's, it's what? It's peace of mind. Uh, it's preparing. It, it's worth something in that sense. But it really only matters when I die. Well, a lot of people treat the resurrection that way. A lot of people treat the gospel that way as a whole. It it matters when I die, they think. It provides peace of mind right now, they think. It doesn't really, really affect my life every day, though, is how many people approach it. Can I just say that that is a terribly wrong, terribly incorrect way to view the resurrection? The resurrection is not only good news for the dying believer. The resurrection is good news for the living believer. And if you don't know Christ today, the resurrection is good news for you right now. And in Matthew 28, we're going to examine Matthew's eyewitness account of the resurrection. And we're going to see today this. Here's our big bottom line. Here is our theme. Here is the big idea. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reality that demands a response. It's a reality that demands a response. And so before we read in Matthew 28, I want to catch you, catch you up on what's happened here in Matthew 27. We saw that Jesus was rejected. We saw that he was crucified. And then at the end of Matthew 27, he, he's, he's buried. A, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, a member of the Sanhedrin who had believed but had not made that public. He goes and he requests the body of Jesus so that he can give him a proper burial. He, he gets bold finally and he steps out there and he's kind of making himself known as a follower of Jesus. He goes to Pilate, he requests the body, and he buries the body, Jesus' body in his own tomb that he had purchased. Fulfilling more prophecy from Isaiah 53, by the way. And then the religious leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they go to Pilate and they've remembered how Jesus had predicted his resurrection. And fearful, they say, that his disciples would steal his body, they tell people and then tell people he rose from the dead, they request uh, for the tomb to be guarded. And so the Pilate is going to guard the tomb. He's going to put soldiers around the tomb. He puts the Roman seal on the tomb, making it illegal to, to mess with the tomb in any way. And now we pick up in Matthew 28. Verse 1, read with me. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So Matthew here in this passage is going to show us that the resurrection is a reality that demands a response. In the first 10 verses that we're going to look at here, he shows us that the resurrection is a reality. It's a reality. It's not a farce. It's not fake. Matthew and all the other gospel writers present the resurrection of Jesus Christ as historical fact, as reality. It's something that they saw and something that they experienced. They do not present it as something that took place simply in their hearts. They do not present it as something that's just some sort of spiritual reality, but rather a physical, literal reality. They present it as fact. Some of the ways Matthew points out Jesus' resurrection is a reality um, are things like this. Uh, Look at the details of the text there in those first ten verses. Uh, He mentions there was an earthquake. Uh, One scholar noted that this may have been an aftershock um, of the earthquake that took place during the crucifixion. In Jesus' death and resurrection, what you're seeing here is Matthew pointing out this, the cosmic nature of this. And Matthew's pointing out here that there are events, verifiable events in that day, that took place around it. He's using detail to describe it. In fact, notice he says that the angel appears and rolls the stone aside and sits on it, just speaking with such detail, even describing the angel and what he looked like. He's writing a story that really happened. Uh, The detail of the writing is because this is an actual historical event, even marked by the significance of an earthquake. People in his day would have remembered things like that earthquake. And so notice the details in the passage. And also notice the empty tomb. (laughs) He says in verse 6, He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. See, Jesus had predicted that he would die and then be raised again. Let me read it to you. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. No reason for you to try to get there. I'm just going to read it. It says, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. See, the the tomb was empty, and it was empty just as Jesus had predicted. See, The tomb even, as I mentioned earlier, was under guard by Roman soldiers, uh, chapter 27 tells us. Uh, These are trained men that could lose their life if they failed to guard the tomb. Uh, This tomb has the Roman seal on it, as I mentioned, making it illegal to tamper with the tomb. It has a large stone placed in front of it that would have weighed one and a half to two tons. I mean, all of this, when you look at that empty tomb and the, and the stone that is now rolled away, the soldiers who are now scattering in fear, the empty tomb testifies to us of the reality of the resurrection. The tomb is empty. He's not there. He is risen. And if you're going to refute the resurrection, you have to start with the fact that the tomb is empty and that the dead body of Jesus has never been discovered. That's because God has raised him from the dead. So notice the details in the text. Notice the empty tomb, but also notice the resurrected body of Jesus. 
You know, while no one ever found Jesus' dead body, the Gospels do present us with a resurrected body. We see here Jesus has a real, literal, physical body that can, that can be seen and touched. They see Jesus in this text. They touch his feet in this text. Jesus tells them to meet him in Galilee where they will see him again there in the text. Uh, They even hear Jesus speak as he says greetings in the text. And all the gospels give us various accounts of how the disciples interacted with the living Christ after his resurrection. One gospel account even tells us that he ate food in front of them. It tells us that they touched the scars on his hands and on his feet and in his side because we have a real resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, presented here to us. And so if you can't, if you're going to try to refute the resurrection, you have to, you have to deal with that. With, wait, we can't find a dead body, but we have, have multiple eyewitness accounts of a resurrected body. So you've got the details of the text. You've got the empty tomb. You've got the resurrected body of Jesus. And now let me show you this. Notice the witnesses. The, the first two witnesses, Matthew tell us, to the empty tomb are two women. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal to you and me today in 2020 in the United States of America. But in the first century, in this particular part of the world, a woman's testimony in that day was not even admissible in court. As shocking as that is even to think about, uh, that was the low standing that women had in that particular culture. A woman's testimony not even admissible in court. So here's the point. If you were going to make up a story about a man that you believed to be the son of God, and you believed to be raised from the dead, but you were going to lie, and the story wasn't really real, What you would not do is have women be the first eyewitnesses giving testimony to this account because in that culture they would have not have been believed. It would not have been considered verifiable. The only way you would write the story like this is if this is the way it happened. They write it like this because it's the truth. It's the truth. This is what actually happened. It's amazing when you think about it. The detail, the empty tomb, the resurrected body of Jesus, the witnesses... And not just the women, but also the the other disciples. Jesus makes a plan to meet the disciples back in Galilee. We we read about one of his meetings with them here next. We're going to read in just a moment. But the remaining 11 disciples, the remaining 11 disciples since Judas has has since uh, died, um, all encountered the risen Christ uh, along with a lot of other people, a lot of other followers of Christ. Uh, We have four eyewitness accounts recorded in the New Testament. Um, of Jesus' resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the Apostle Paul also, also encountered the risen Christ years later. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8, he says this about the witnesses to the resurrection. He says, he says, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. It's a large gathering. Most of whom, he says, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. That's a lot of witnesses. It's bold. He's saying you can verify this with Peter and James and any of the 500 that were there and that were still alive. He's saying uh, more than 500 saw him at one time. Uh, uh, In that day, a verifiable event. He's saying go study this. He's daring people, if you will, to look into the resurrection. These witnesses go on, the disciples in particular, going to lay down their lives to proclaim this resurrection. Think about that for a second. If this was a lie, if his body was stolen, if something like that were to have happened, then, then, then why, why lie? You say, well, people, people lie all the time. And you say, well, people even die for lies all the time. But how often do they die for lies that they know are lies? The reason people die for lies is because they think it's the truth. 
So these men were convinced that it was the truth, willing to be exiled, willing to be tortured, willing to, be, willing, to, willing to die. In Peter's case, legend tells us, crucified upside down. Because why? He believed the tomb was empty. When you look at their changed lives, when you turn the page from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the book of Acts, and you begin to see these men who at times had been cowardly, who at times had been bumbling, now boldly proclaiming the gospel, being imprisoned, being harmed, being martyred for their faith, It shows you something happened. What happened? They encountered the reality of the risen Christ. See, if the resurrection is not a reality, then it's a farce. If it didn't happen, then you're wasting your time listening to me this morning. Uh, See, reality makes all the difference. If it's not real, if it's just a story, then it doesn't have really lasting impact. You know, uh, I know a lot of people, and maybe you are or one of those that are catching up on shows on Netflix and Hulu or whatever you watch shows on during this time. And, and there's one particular show uh, that uh, Christy and I, my wife, like, and it, it's, it's Lost in Space on Netflix. And not the old Lost in Space, but like the new Lost in Space on Netflix. And there's only a couple of seasons of it. But one thing I like about that show is they, they have a masterful way of making you think that these characters are in peril, right? The characters that you, that you see and that you like and that you're rooting for and you feel and you sense the peril and you're kind of on the edge of your seat like, oh, you're thinking nothing's really going to happen to this character, surely, but, but you don't really know and you're not really sure and, and you're just kind of like tense the entire time. They do a great job with that. But when the show's over and I turn off the TV, I don't lie in bed at night going, I wonder how the Robinson family's doing. I wonder if Will Robinson is still in danger. And the reason for that is is because I know it's not real, right? It's as good as they are at making it feel real, I know it's not real. If it was real, I mean, we'd be calling uh, our congressmen and we'd be calling NASA and we'd be saying, hey, there's people lost in space and we need to find it. We'd be really worried, right? But it's not real. Reality makes all the difference. Whether you believe something really happened or not begins to really change things and shape things. Some people treat the resurrection like it's a story that they like to hear about from time to time. But it no more impacts their life on a daily basis than the Robinson family being lost in space on Netflix. Cool story, but it's not impacting my daily life. But that just shows you that you don't really get it. That you don't really get it. If Jesus rose from the, from the dead, if that's a reality, it's a reality that demands a response. So let's talk about that for a second. The resurrection demands a response. We see in the rest of our text different responses that the resurrection evokes from people. You have those that reject Jesus as a resurrected king, and then you're going to see people that receive Jesus as resurrected king. So look with me in verse 11 through 15. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now think about this. Jesus has been raised from the dead. The soldiers that guarded the tomb go to the religious leaders. The religious leaders pay them off to tell people the disciples stole Jesus' body. They make a deal. We'll handle things with the governor so that you don't lose your job or your life, but you cover us by helping us spread this lie because we don't want people to know what's happened. 
Well, what's happened? The religious leader's biggest fear has literally come to life. Jesus has done exactly what he said he would do. He's risen. And they have a choice. They can bow their knee in submission to the king. They can repent of crucifying the Son of God and turn to Jesus in saving faith as the risen Son of God. Or they can continue to reject him. And even though he's risen from the dead, what do they do? They dig their heels in and they continue to reject him. They would rather live a lie than deal with the fact that they killed the Son of God. Uh, That they've had a hand in the death of the Messiah. And staring at the reality of the resurrection, they simply reject it. They had no desire for Jesus to be their king or to be their Lord, or to be their Messiah. They saw no need for Jesus as a Savior. They, they want their lives, they went their whole lives from this point forward, best we know, sort of pretending that this didn't happen. <laughs> and leading, trying to lead others to not know that it had happened. You know, it's possible to hear the resurrection story, to have no problem finding it believable, but then live like it's not true. Living a lie. To this day, people stare at the reality of the resurrection in the face and still reject Jesus as Lord over their lives. People deny that the resurrection happened, refusing to even examine the evidence and the facts. I meet people like this. I talk to people like this. They're just not convinced someone can be raised from the dead, but they haven't dug into it. They haven't studied the historical, factual nature of this event and all the testimony and the eyewitness accounts to it. Or people refuse to deal with its implications. Uh, and what, what are the implications if Jesus has risen from the dead? And they just don't want to deal with that. Or they water down what the implications are. Or people just go on living their lives pretending that this is not life-changing news. Let me ask you, what kind of response is the resurrection getting from you? How are you responding right now today to the fact that Jesus Christ, the reality that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? Is it reorienting your life? Is it making a difference in how you live your life? Are you functionally kind of denying that it happened? Are you watering down the implications for that over your life? Well, you say, well, how should I respond? Well, you should respond. Instead of by rejecting, we should respond by receiving Jesus as our Lord and our King and walking in that truth daily. Look at how the disciples responded. Let's start in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. I'm going to read down through verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the disciples in the text, they respond by worshiping. They respond by running to where Jesus... Well, you see at the beginning 10 verses when, when, when these women discover Jesus, what they run and they worship and they grab a hold of his feet. The disciples here, they respond by going and doing what Jesus said. He said, go to Galilee. So they meet him in Galilee. And then Jesus even tells us here in the Great Commission how the world should really respond to him. So looking at all this, let me share with you three ways that we should respond to the resurrected Christ. Three simple ways that you today should be responding and that I should be responding to the fact, the reality that Jesus has risen from the dead. The first way is by believing in Jesus. 
by simply believing. See, we see in our text that both the women and now the disciples worshiping him. It says some of the disciples at this point says they doubted. Not because they didn't really believe. They're seeing Jesus. They're standing face to face with him. But the point is they didn't really know how to respond at this moment. That word for doubt can mean to waver or to hesitate. They wavered. They hesitated. They wasn't sure what to do staring at this resurrected man from the dead. They weren't sure how to behave in that moment. But the ones that worshipped, like the women and the other disciples, they've got it right. In fact, their lives would be spent worshipping him. But the reason they did this is because they believed. They believed. They get it. And this shows they get it. They truly believe Jesus is Lord and is King and is the Messiah. And they're staring him in his resurrected face. And they, are, they, they see the reality of this. And they, all they can do is believe. And they respond in true faith, showing this through their worship and through their joy. They believed he rose again. They didn't think they were dreaming or that he was an imposter. They realized he was alive. They began to change their life. They, they, began to tr- they continued to trust him, to believe in him, and to believe that he had died in their place on the cross and rose again. They would go on to write books of the Bible and, so you and I can understand and be able to, to see what the implications of Jesus' death and his resurrection are. You see, their belief began to transform their lives. You see, belief in the Bible is not just some mental ascent. It's life-changing. It's truly trusting and relying on Jesus to the point that, man, it it transforms your life. That's what they had. It's the kind of belief that drives a person to reorient their entire life around what they believe, around the truth they believe. See, when you believe Jesus has risen from the dead, when you believe he is Lord, it reshapes everything. And listen, some things, to put it honestly, should reshape your life. There are some things, some realities that should reshape your life. For instance, my wife and I, Christy, will will be married 11 years in May. And, And that is a relationship that has reshaped my life. Before I met my wife, before I met Christy, I didn't sit around wondering, I wonder how this decision will affect Christy. I wonder what Christy thinks about this because I didn't even know Christy. We didn't even have a relationship. I didn't even know who she was, right? I'm, I'm, I'm living in Alabama. She's living in, in Florida. But now we're married. We've got three kids and every major decision in my life affects her too. And, I, and, and that relationship has transformed my life. The, the relationship with our children transforms our lives. We think about everything in that context now. It, it's, 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 it's reshaped us and it should. And that's the point, because some things reshape everything. Every now and then, you'll hear about someone having a health scare. They go to the doctor, and they get news they don't want to hear, that nobody wants to hear. And, and they, they begin to diet. They begin to exercise. They begin to stop bad habits. They begin to do all this. Why? Because they got news from the doctor, and they believed the news, and that led them to live differently in light of the news they received. Some things and believing some things should and will transform our lives. And my point is, believing in Christ as Lord, believing he died on the cross for your sin and rose again is a life-changing event. Like getting married, it changes your life. Like getting the report from the doctor, it begins to drive new decisions. Belief in Jesus is life-altering belief. 
It's not some ho-hum thing that you tack onto your life. It's a tidal wave that, that literally changes everything. And what does Jesus tell them to do? He tells them to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, a disciple is someone who believes in and follows Jesus, who trusts and follows Christ. That's what a disciple is. The word means learner or student. It's someone that believes Jesus is Lord, he's king, that he's the God-man, that he's the Savior, that he died for their sin and rose again, and then lives life accordingly. And then... Jesus gives them the mission, right? Go make disciples. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying everyone should believe in me. Everyone should believe in me. Everyone should be my disciple. Everyone should turn from their sin and follow me. That's why he gives them this mandate. Let me ask you, have you believed in the risen Christ? Have you turned from your sin and trusted Christ? Believing he died in your place on the cross, like we talked about last week, that when he went to the cross and, and he suffered and he died there, that he was actually dying in your place, paying for your sin debt, bearing the wrath of God that you deserved as your substitute in your place. Have you believed that? Have you believed that he rose from the dead? And is it the kind of faith that has radically transformed and continues to transform your life and, be, and, 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 and to, to bear weight on every decision? Do you have that kind of faith that leads you to worship him and to submit to him? Real belief in Jesus. That's the first way we need to respond. We need to believe. We need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to follow him. The second way we need to be responding is we need to obey him. Notice, all through the text, people are obeying Jesus. The women obey, the disciples obey and go to Galilee. The women obey and go tell the disciples. The disciples obey and go to Galilee. And Jesus tells them to what? Go make disciples, teaching people to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, teaching them to obey. You see, because he's the resurrected king, he must be obeyed. He must be obeyed. We, we don't get to negotiate what we obey. We just obey. Why? Because he's God. He's king. He's Lord. He's proven it by being raised from the dead. You know who you are to obey in any context? The person in charge. Right? That, that's, how, that's how it works. Uh, whether, whether it's a boss on the job or whether it's a, a governmental uh, leader in, in, in the appropriate context or, or whether we're talking about God, it, it's, it's the person in charge is the person you obey. Well, Jesus says a key phrase here. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, Jesus says, I am in charge of everything. I have all authority and all power. Listen, I want my children to obey my wife and I. Well, why? Well, the Bible tells them that they need to, and it tells me that I need to teach them to, and so I know it's best for them. I know God has placed me and my wife in their life as authorities for their own good. And if they disobey us, they dishonor us in the position God has given us in their life because they don't honor the authority that we have over them. And here's the thing. When we disobey Jesus... We are refusing to honor him with, and recognize, by recognizing the authority he has over us as the resurrected Lord and King. See, disobedience is dishonor. You want to honor Jesus as King? Obey Jesus as Lord. You really want to honor him with your life? Obey his written word. That's what he wants. That's what the resurrected king asked for the disciples to do. Go make disciples teaching people to obey me. 
Listen, we can't, we can't compartmentalize, compartmentalize the areas that we obey in. You can't say, well, Jesus, you can be my king over my Sundays, but not my finances. Uh, you can be king over my trials and my troubles, and I'll trust you in those, but not my relationships, and certainly not my thought life. See, he says all authority has been given to him, not some. He is the authority in every arena of life. There is no area of a believer's life that the lordship of Jesus Christ does not speak to. There's no area, as the old quote says, that Jesus doesn't look at and say, mine. He is the authority. Jesus doesn't merely have an opinion, but rather a will for your life. Right? Jesus' purpose and his plans for your life is written in his word. They're not opinions. It's, it's his will. It's his, it's his word. It's his, it's his command. And it's to be obeyed. Let me ask you. In light of the resurrected Christ, are you obeying him? If you believe he's the resurrected king, it's spiritual insanity to not obey him. What area of your life this morning... What area are you ignoring his will in? What area are you ignoring his word in? Is there an area like that? Uh, One clear area some may need to examine today, let's just be honest, because it's in the text, is baptism. It's baptism. Notice the first act of obedience Jesus gives a disciple is to be baptized. He says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, when someone becomes a disciple, when they become one who trusts in Jesus for salvation and follows him... They are to be baptized, declaring that they belong to Jesus. Uh, Baptism is for believers. It's for disciples. And as a Christ follower, I have to ask you, have you been baptized since you've believed in Christ? It's the way we publicly identify with him as our Lord and as our Savior. It's the way we proclaim to others that we are following him. So have you been? Have you been baptized? If you've trusted Christ and have yet to be baptized, I encourage you to reach out to us via email. Go to in, email info at gonorthpark.com, write baptism in the subject line, and we'll get in touch with you about that. We would love, if you're a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized yet, we'd love to celebrate baptism with you on the other side of this pandemic. We'd love to be able to, to do that when we begin to gather again. Have you been baptized? Make the decision today, if you haven't been. Make the decision today, this Easter Sunday, to obey Jesus as soon as you can and get baptized. But Jesus says he goes on to say here that his disciples are to observe all his commands let me ask you are you pursuing the will of god in all areas in your relationships in your finances in your thought life in your sexuality is there an area of your life you're looking at jesus and you're saying mine when jesus is saying no it's it's mine he's already proven he's lord he's he's been raised from the dead if that's not enough for us to bow our knee to Jesus and submit our lives to him, what will be in light of the resurrection? I plead with you today, obey Jesus. Obey Jesus at all costs and all ways. The best Easter decision some of us can make today is to repent of ignoring God's word in certain areas of our lives and to once again obey Jesus as the resurrected king over our life. So you need to believe Jesus in Jesus. You need to obey Jesus. But here's a third way we need to respond according to this text. We need to proclaim Jesus. Notice the women, they run tail because Jesus says so. 
Then here the disciples are told, you go to the nations and make disciples. Go and tell people. Share this good news and make disciples. Do not miss this. The most natural reaction to the resurrection for a believer is to share that news with others. It's to proclaim it. Uh, The mission of the church is to make disciples. And that flows from the command of a resurrected Christ. It's in the very spiritual DNA of the church, the very spiritual DNA of the believer to proclaim the resurrected Christ and his good news to others and to teach them to obey him, to make disciples, proclaiming the gospel and teaching people to walk with Christ. Let me ask you, this Easter, who do you need to share Christ with? Who's the one person in your life that you know needs the gospel? That maybe you've been praying for? Maybe right now, just when I say these words, their picture, their face comes into your mind. Who is that person that you need to share Christ with? If the resurrection's a reality, it demands the response of being shared with others. This has been the reaction of believers since the very beginning 2,000 years ago. The question for us believers is, will it spread through us? Or will it spread in spite of us? Because the gospel continues to go. (laughs) He's risen from the dead and his gospel continues to go. And it will go to the ends of the earth. Will we hinder it or will we proclaim it? Will we be a part of what God is doing in extending the gospel to the nations? You may be thinking right now of a million reasons you don't think you can share your faith. But Jesus gives you two big ones about why you should. First of all, he says he has all authority. So when you share, you're going in the name of the king of kings. (laughs) You're bearing the news of the one with all authority. And and here it gets better. Secondly, he says he's with you. The abiding, empowering presence of Christ with his people enables us to share with others. The one with all authority is with us when we share. Listen, the presence of Christ with us is comfort in trial, yes. It is encouraging in temptation, absolutely. But here Jesus delivers it in the context of mission. It's meant to be more than a warm blanket on a cold night. It's meant to be fuel for a mission. It's meant to send you to the front lines with boldness. If all we do with the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives is sing about it and take comfort in it, we've missed a big point of why he's with us. We're supposed to go. We're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to proclaim the reality of the resurrection and urge people to respond in believing and obeying and proclaiming Jesus. We need to make disciples of the risen king. Listen, the resurrection is a reality that demands a response. And that response can be rejecting Jesus or receiving Jesus. But the response it's supposed to be is receiving him as our Lord and our King. And the way we appropriately respond to this King is by believing in him, by obeying him, and by sharing him with others. Let me ask you, do you need to believe today? Do you need to believe? You know, we look around the world around us right now, and we see brokenness, and we see sickness, and we see fear, and we see all of this going on, and we know... Christians know that the reason it's like this is because sin entered the world all the way back at the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so brokenness runs through this world and and sin courses through us and we're all sinners by nature and by choice and we've all sinned, we've all rebelled against God and we're loved by God, we're made in God's image but we've been separated from a holy God by our sin. And the good news of Easter is that God didn't just leave us there but that he sent his son into the world to live a sinless life that we can't live. 
to, to die a death on a cross that we deserve to die, to, to bear our sin and to take the punishment we deserve, bearing his wrath for us, and that he was risen from the dead for our justification so that we can be declared righteous some three days later. The good news of the Bible is if we'll turn away from our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the resurrected king, we can be saved. Have you done that? If you haven't, I urge you right now, right there in your home, to bow your head, close your eyes, and pray and ask God to save you. The words aren't important. But the a simple way to express to God that you're putting your faith in Jesus is to call out to him in prayer, to confess that you're a sinner, to confess your need for him, to confess that you believe Jesus is the Son of God and that he died in your place and rose again, and to ask him to save you, to ask him to forgive you. If you do that, just right there in your own words, if you'll bow your head and, and pray and, and seek Christ today and ask for his forgiveness, we'd love for you to let us know that you've done that. If you'd email us at info at gonorthpark.com or if you're, in the, if you're in the gonorthpark.online.church portal, if you would go up there and you'd click on the connection card and let us know that way. Or if you've just got questions, if you're not ready yet but you've got questions, use those ways to reach out to us and let us know so that we can pray for you. We want to help you in this. Do you need to believe today? Secondly, how do you need to obey Jesus today? Maybe you need to be baptized and you need to fill out that connection card or you need to email us about baptism. Maybe you need to get your baptism in order. Maybe you need to be baptized because you believe but you've never taken that step. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there's an area of your life that you need to recalibrate underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ because you've wandered and you're not submitting to him as king in certain areas of your life. And today, this Easter, you need to repent. That means turn. You need to turn away from your way of doing it and turn back to Jesus' way of doing it and obey him. Or maybe today, you simply need to proclaim Jesus. You need to be his witness. We all do. Who can you share this message with? Who can you invite to watch it? Who, who can you call up and share your testimony with? Who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to bear witness to that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he has hope for them? Let's respond to Jesus because the reality of the resurrection is, it demands the right response. Would you pray with me?